Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, fam. Welcome to the Translash Podcast. I'm your host, Amara Jones. Thank you all for your tremendous support that helped make our launch last month such a success. We received so many shout-outs, including one from The Advocate that called this podcast, quote, required listening, close quote. So you better listen. Every two weeks, you'll hear trans people and our allies talk back about what matters most to us and how we can create a fair world for everybody. We need your ongoing support to do that. So thank you for lifting up my voice. This week, I talked to Kai Wright, host of WNYC's The United States of Anxiety, about the links between transphobia, the history of fear in America, and the 2020 elections. Just a living, breathing, unapologetic trans human being threatens so much about the ways in which we code power and gender. Plus, you'll hear from Marquise Wilson, too bad you can't see him, a Black trans actor and activist. He opens up to me about the importance of trans masculine representation and using his platform to combat violence against trans women of color. Visibility and representation is super important. It allows you to build a personal relationship with that person in a way that is not always centered around our transness. We've got a great show for you today, so stick around. We're going to start off with a little bit of trans joy. One thing lifting up my spirits this week is celebrating the legendary activist Marsha P. Johnson on what would have been her 75th birthday on August 24th. As a leader in the Stonewall Uprising and a visionary organizer, she lived unapologetically, demanding space for trans women and our siblings. Because of her vision and work, more of us can thrive. I had the privilege of talking to Marsha's longtime friend, Victoria Cruz, a legendary activist in her own right who has sought justice for Marsha for three decades, an effort portrayed in the Netflix documentary, The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. Here's what Victoria shared with me during Lives at Stake, a monthly show by and for trans people I host through WNYC. Marsha was ahead of her time. At the time, during the 60s and early 70s, you know, it was like unheard of having trans women. As a matter of fact, the word trans didn't exist at the time. They were calling them transsexuals or things like that. You know, names that did not pertain to how we identified. And Randy Wicker presented her as a saint. To me, she was the Rosa Parks of our movement. Marsha knew what she wanted and how to get it. She was herself, and nobody could take that away from her. Marsha P. Johnson, I'm so thankful for the ways you changed the world. You laid the foundation for me. You are trans joy.
Next up, we're turning to hot topics in the news with our segment called, well, the news. So many of the attacks against the rights of trans people, which hang in the balance in this year's election at both the federal and state level, are often motivated by fear. But this fear goes deeper than transphobia. Rather than an aberration is to be afraid, actually endemic to American culture? Mm-hmm. Helping us to understand this often unspoken part of our national life and how to transform it into hope is Kai Wright, host and managing editor of WNYC's new weekly program, The United States of Anxiety, which you can listen to live on Sundays at 6 p.m. or on demand wherever you get your podcast. Kai is also a former editor at The Nation and was my editor at Color Lines. He is gay and Kai's pronouns are he, him. Kai, thank you so much for joining us. This is my first time interviewing you ever on air. That's not true, actually, Amara. It's not true? Did I just tell something that's not true, a falsehood? You interviewed me on Caffeine TV once. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day. Back in the day. Okay. Okay. So um, I'm having podcast brain right now, um, (laughs) which you, as the veteran host of several podcasts, know all about. Um, Before we get started, I also wanted to just give a shout out, now that we're, you know, going back in the past of things we've done, to a book that you wrote in 2008, which is called Drifting Towards Love, which I think personally is one of the best snapshots of Black queer life over the past 20 years. It focuses on the lives of Black queer, femme, and gender nonconforming and non-binary youth uh, in Brooklyn, and people should pick it up. Oh, wow. Thank you. That's that's such high praise. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So I wanted to ask you why you decided to make America's Anxiety the focus of your show. It's been a podcast over the past two years, shouted out by The Atlantic as you know, one of the best podcasts that year. It's now this weekly program. And for the last two years, you've focused on anxiety. Why? Well, you know, I mean, so we first first started during the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think you'd struggle to find a better word <laughs> than how we all felt uh, during that election. And, you know, I think it's it, it covers a lot of ground in our politics. I mean, I think a lot of what is going on in the Trump movement or certainly at that time was uh, this anxiety amongst white people in the suburbs who had been given everything uh, over the course of the 20th century and were facing a world in which those things they had been given were questioned and challenged, and that caused them anxiety. And I think all of us, you know, now four years on, there's just, we just face so much unknown. There's there's so much that we don't know about what's going to happen. And that is both a source of optimism and power, you know, because uh, we do actually have a chance to have a clean slate. And it's a source of great fear and anxiety for everybody, you know. And so it's um, it's a it's a moment for potential action when you have that much anxiety. But it is also a dangerous, dangerous moment for those of us who sit in roles in society where we can be targeted. Yeah, and I'm wondering this idea of targeting and anxiety. I'm wondering how these factor into American history? What's the intersection of this anxiety that we're having right now and the history of fear in America? You've written histories of the United States through a Black lens, and I'm wondering what you see as the parallels or the roots or the things that are underneath this current anxiety that all these, you know, white people have. There are two things. I mean, there's the, I think, more straightforward one of just really, I mean, so much about the 20th century in America was about 
giving white people a sense of innocence around the privileges that they had. And, you know, and, and literally the purpose of the suburbs being created in order to raise a generation of white people who could be, um, who could have innocence from the, the, the violence and the oppression and the things that were done to give them the opportunities that they have. And I guess you can argue about that also much about the way whiteness was coddled and managed in, and just conceived in the first place during slavery, you know, was about creating a sense of innocence in the face of brutality. And so, you know, as that innocence is being stripped away um, for a host of reasons because of just the changing realities of economics and social and cultural. Those changing realities just are, are stripping away some of that innocence. And because of a, the changing politics that many of us um, from a variety of communities and a variety of backgrounds um, have reached a place where we will no longer tolerate that innocence. And so that that is an unnerving thing to to have it taken away, and so that's that's one one thing about the anxiety I'm thinking about when we think about the history of it. But the other, Mara, I have to say, and we've talked about this a little bit, is like mm-hmm. we we arrive at this moment now where you know there are huge numbers of people of all races, but certainly white people who are ready to say, okay, let's challenge the status quo, let's look at a new world. And what we have learned from history is that how long white people in particular are able to sit in that space is going to be really important. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So I'm wondering how you see transphobia intersecting with the anxiety and the fear that we've been talking about and that you know so much about. I think that trans people, like many of us, but trans people in particular, give the lie to so many things about our society, and that makes them incredibly threatening to people on a personal level and certainly to our political system overall. You know, um, there, there is an increasing conversation right now about race, right, and the ways that that has informed the racism of the Trump movement and the xenophobia of the Trump movement and the way it has informed their brutality, right? But to me, I really don't think we have had as sophisticated a conversation about the ways in which uh, misogyny and fear of, you know, as the way I've heard you frame it, fear of femme in general informs their brutality. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that trans people, you know, and, and I think trans people of all identities here, because of the challenge to the relationship between gender and power that just a trans body represents, setting everything else aside, <laughs> you know, um, just a, a living, breathing, unapologetic trans human being threatens so much about the relationship, the ways in which we code power and gender, that it leads to real brutality. And and I think if we can understand that, there's so much we could understand about our larger political system and the brutality in it, if that makes sense, right? To come at it another way, um, you know, the depth of hatred directed at Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. um, was so out of proportion to the very legitimate critique of her politic, right? You know, mm-hmm. I have I have great many critiques of Hillary Clinton's politics, but the the depth of hatred directed at her is just totally out of proportion with with the facts of her politics, right? They're not that far different from Barack Obama's. So what is owing, what do we owe that level of emotional response to? It's the fact of the combination of her femininity and her open desire for power. Mm-hmm. And I think those two things set off 
real blind rage for a lot of people in our culture. And so coming back to trans people, if you are a human being who has said, I refuse to accept these gender roles that you have put in the world, they don't apply to me. That is an act of power, right? Like that is a statement about power inside a gender dynamic that, that is deeply threatening to people. And to me, that is, that is the most salient point. And if we could have a society where that wasn't threatening, we would have a very different society on so many different levels. Right. Um, and, um, and if we understood transphobia in that way, if more people understood transphobia in that way, then they might be able to do the work that they need to do on all kinds of problems they have around gender and power. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that it's this fact, right? The fact that fear is such a part of the way that the system is maintained, which is one of the things that is at work in all of us. And I think the minute that you step outside of that, then you become frightening. (laughs) Ironically. The minute you refuse to be afraid. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. You become frightening and it's deeply, deeply triggering because our entire system rests on fear in ways that, that you are unpacking and exploring, but just really haven't, um, haven't really been unpacked in some really powerful ways, which is why I think what you do is really important. And it's that relationship to power, because when you're refusing to be afraid, you're asserting power. That's right. You know, like you're asserting a power that people are not comfortable with. That's right. It's, it's, it's an upsetting of the power structure. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it. I mean, the interesting thing, right, is that the conversation around transness and trans people is about powerlessness and marginalization, but mm-hmm. the reaction is the exact opposite, right? People mm-hmm. react to, to trans people, react to us as if we are extremely powerful as a threat. That's how you react to things that are threats, right? That's you don't right. react to things that are marginal in ways that aren't, you know, are deeply, you know, violent or those types of things. That's right. I think that's really important. So one of the things that you would tell me all the time as an editor is that you got to give them hope (laughs) (laughs) in my pieces. This is really good, Amara, but where you got to give them hope. Well, Amara, your analysis is often quite (laughs) dire, (laughs) dire um, and true, but dire. It is. And so, you know. It is. It is. So in this, you alluded to it before, Mm -hmm. but for Mm -hmm. you in this moment, when you look out, where is the hope? I, I think it's in the existence of tension, you know? I mean, I, I believe in, in Martin Luther King's point, you know, that um, peace is not the absence of conflict, <laughs> you know? Peace is something that can come out of, of productive tension, productive conflict. And so we are truly <laughs> in a moment uh, of great tension. You know, intention, I mean that in the sense of like, it, it's clear to everyone that the status quo doesn't work. You know, we're being forced to take an opportunity to be better. Now, you know, countering my own advice to you, like that also can lead <laughs> to a much worse world. You know, um, that's the thing, you know, and that's why I return to the, 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 the real question here is how long are white people in particular, but people who have power, people who have benefited from the status quo up until recently, how long are they willing to sit in the discomfort that this change is going to require? Because that's going to be the pivot. You know, if they're willing to sit in it for sometime, then it's hopeful because this is what we need in order to move into building a better world on so many levels. And if they're not, it can get very dark. And that is, you know, we came out of Reconstruction into one of the darkest periods of American history. That's right. I would argue the darkest period of American history. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the the interesting thing about what you're saying is, you know, 
I'm a nerd. So I've been reading a book written <laughs> by Ron Chernow, and it's so fascinating. And you're right, there are essentially eight year hopeful years in which white people were willing to do exactly what you said. And then, you know, after another 10 years after that, it really kind of came off the rails. Yeah. So, you know, it's so important for us, all of us who are involved in this moment of making our country fairer and bringing about social justice and the increasing centering of, of Black trans people is that, you know, these fights are long. And I, it's one of the things that I hope, as you do, that people understand that. They are so, so long, you know. Now, the other hopeful thing I'll say is, frankly, I mean, I look at when I look at movements that are hopeful, like the trans movement is a source of enormous optimism. I mean, there, there has been so much wonderful work. I mean, I don't have to tell you, you know, it, I, I am old enough to remember, you know, in just with never mind within the broader culture and the broader political scene, but just within LGBT politics, like the, the T, give me a break, you know, um, and where it was perfectly appropriate to debate whether or not trans people were part of the community, right? Like that wasn't that long ago, let alone, you know, um, whether or not actually the center of the political conversation is trans lives, right? Like the fact, the March for Trans Lives this year, that that actually was the closest thing to a real gay pride, right? Um, that we've had in Mm-hmm. Probably decades. <laughs> um, uh, so the the work that has been done, and and then particularly in trans communities of color, that is a source of enormous optimism to me. You know, just the, the amount of progress that I've seen made. Me too. Well, we did end on hope. Thank you so much for coming on. I hope that we can have you back. But I really appreciate you being on today, Kai. Thank you so much. I'd love to come back, and I hope we can have you back on United States of Anxiety. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> That was Kai Wright, the host and editor of WNYC's The United States of Anxiety, which you can listen to at 6 p.m. on Sundays live or on demand wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, y'all. I'm Aaron Haynes, the host of The Amendment a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Our last segment today is Transform. Trans people, both high profile and at the community level, are innovating and creating the future for all of us. Transform takes us into their world. Joining us is Marquise Vilson. He's an activist and actor who uses his visibility as a Black trans masculine person to push for change and end violence against Black trans women, including the recent LA attack victims, Eden Estrada, Jocelyn Allen, and Jocelyn Boussinette. In addition to his activism, Marquise is a groundbreaking actor. He's appeared in films such as the Netflix documentary Disclosure and television series like Law & Order SVU. Marquise's new documentary, No Ordinary Man, about Billy Tipton, a trans jazz musician, premieres later this month. 
Marquise, I'm thrilled to have you. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. I wanted to start out with your decision to define yourself as an activist first and then an actor, which is an interesting choice. Most people like you at this point in their career do the opposite. Why do you choose to identify as an activist first and an actor second? My personal choice to identify as an activist first comes from my personal life experiences, um, also having been rooted in activism. Uh, growing up in low-income housing in the projects, having a father whose story is is the typical Black story, um, reported missing on Christmas Day in 1988, and having police come to my grandparents' house two days later to inform us that he had been murdered um, December 27th of 1988. Um so yeah, I, I think it's the intersections of all of my experiences, my background, where I come from, my upbringing, um, have been really deeply rooted in the experiences of Blackness, of queerness, of transness, um, even with regards to, to HIV. Uh, my first relationship or encounter with HIV was with my aunt um, in 1993, I was probably 12. So yeah, it's it's one of those things that for me, activism is is super important. It's just it's just a part of who I am. Mm-hmm. And on that note about activism, I'm wondering how it then, how given the answer that you just gave, how does acting play in your life? What role does acting play in your life if these other experiences, as you said, are, are foundational? What part of you is drawn to acting? I think the role for me that acting plays uh, really allows folk to know that people like me exist. I think visibility and representation is super important. It allows you to be inside of someone's home, to build a personal relationship with that person um, in a way that is not always centered around our transness. Of course, with acting, obviously, that can exist as well, too, um, where you can have a character who is trans and there's a need to explore that. But I think just overall, in general, that relationship can really change the narrative and the way that people have thought about us, um, especially when we're authentically in those roles. Hopefully we can change things a little bit more in Hollywood and, and see more trans people behind the scenes as well, too, as content creators and writers and producers and actors. Mm-hmm. In this idea of visibility that you mentioned, I think for some people, the stereotype of many people who are transmasculine is that at some point um, that trans masculine people can achieve, not all, but some can achieve this idea of invisibility, right? So I'm sure um, when most people see your spotlight graphic on social media um, or your pictures have seen you in the number of films and television series that you've done, would assume that you were a cis, would assume that you were assigned male at birth, but you choose in that respect as well, not to be. You choose to constantly underscore the fact that you are transmasculine and that you were assigned female at birth. Um, And I'm wondering why you do that. Um, Am I allowed to curse? Yes, it's a podcast. So yes, you can say whatever you want to. Okay, because I'm proud as fuck. I am proud as fuck of who I am. Um, There should never be shame in any of the layers of my experience, at least not for me anyway. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. Like I, just the idea of even hearing the word when you said it invisible, like literally just not existing, not having access to space. Um, I'm a human being like anyone else and I'm real 
and I exist and there's nothing wrong with being proud of who you are. Right. And I mean, for you, that visibility is essential to being an activist, which is how you initially define yourself. Even if being less visible as an actor could give all of these you know, benefits that you spoke about, that's just not how you define yourself. And I think that that's why this is a really fascinating conversation because um, sometimes people assume that getting to a level, a certain level in your career and as you um, grow in attention due to disclosure and a whole host of other things, that fame is often defined by leaving things behind, leaving behind parts of yourself, escaping, reaching escape velocity from your past. But that's not something that you do. No, I have absolutely no interest in doing that. Um, I do feel a larger sense of responsibility. I would say having the the platform as as an actor, I do feel a larger sense of responsibility to further amplify the conversations that I know that exist within my community, obviously very one specific thing that is, is happening right now with regards to queer plus community is the violence that we continue to see um, around trans women and specifically black trans women. It's, it's not going away. And I don't, I personally don't feel that it's appropriate for me to be silent because in being silent, it means that I'm, I'm complicit, which I'm not number one. And also number two, um, what if it were me? What if that were my story? The last thing that I would hope is that no one was saying anything, especially people who are in positions of power, people that have access to platforms and the opportunity to influence and create change and shift. Yeah, I think that that takes us to a really important point. Um, You know, throughout the summer, we've had countless protests, including those for for Black trans people, there's not one that I've been to that I haven't seen you at, and ones that I haven't been to that I haven't seen you at. Um, but a particular focus and energy and drive that you've had is around the recent attack in Los Angeles, Jocelyn, Jocelyn, and Eden. And I'm wondering why you decided to take such a leading and active role in bringing attention to their attack the way in which the police let it happen, the mob that chased them down, both in car and on foot. What struck you about that? Oh, um, well, to be honest, I mean, I feel like I've been vocal and adamant about the things that I've seen before, but I, I realize that it also takes effort and action. And seeing a scene like that play out And thinking in that moment in time, had any of those girls been alone, that one of them would have been number 27 this year, I think for me was, that was just the turning point. It was like, okay, this is ridiculous. I need to do as much as I possibly can. No one was interested in stepping in and trying to help them at all. And it it was just really difficult to sit with. It was difficult to watch. And it's difficult really to continue to watch. I mean, it's really, really apparent from the full tape that you see that their humanity is is erased. Do you think that Black trans men um, or trans masculine people in general have a special role or an important role to play in advocating for Black trans women? I think we should. I think we absolutely should. And I, I don't know that all trans mass folk feel that level of sense of responsibility. I hope 
that Transmen are listening. I hope that they're tuning in. I must admit, from June until now, I actually have seen more trans mass folk showing up to protests, vigils, rallies, marches. I know for myself, you know, being assigned female at, at birth and having the experiences of Black women, right, whether I've identified as being a woman or not, those things have been placed onto me. And I knew exactly what that meant. I knew what that felt. I know what that feels like. You know, to feel sexualized, to feel like you don't have access to space, to feel like people can just say and do whatever they want to. And you really, you really don't have, you know, involvement or choice in the matter, whether we're talking about violence or we're talking about sexual assault and trauma. You know, it's, it's just impossible to like not, for me anyway, to just not be connected. I, 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 it doesn't make any sense to me at all. It is not a privilege to be silent. Mm. It's not a privilege to be silent. That is a lesson for the world right now. One of the things we've been silent about is the role of trans people in history. And the new documentary you're in, No Ordinary Man, spotlights an incredible jazz musician who was a trans man, Billy Tipton. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are about this person who was largely forgotten in the public imagination until now. Being a part of telling Billy's story is super important. I, I personally feel like because of what you just mentioned, which is, you know, trans folk not being contextually um, a part of history and not even just uh, queer plus history, but really American history, right? Like Billy Tipton was a American jazz singer, for real, like literally contributed to music, the way that we understand it, the way that we relate to it and connect to it, there's such an innate sort of connection, you know, between myself and Billy Tipton. And, and quite honestly, all of my trans mask, elders, siblings, peers, you know, there's something that we are just, we're naturally connected to, obviously through, through layers of transness, which is just, it's just such a mind-blowing thing to think about, but it's, it's really cool. And the fact that it actually now exists in film form and people can see that, you know, they can see that relationship between Billy and the folks that are there to, to further humanize his experience and his story, right? Like that's, that's the other thing that I found to be just that much more um, powerful in terms of telling his story that is through the lens of a transmasculine director. And it's important for us to be at the helm of telling our own stories in that way. I mean, clearly it has to come from a trans person in order to do that fully. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, for all of the reasons that we have spoken about, I'm so thrilled that you were able to be on today to talk about your experience, your framework, how you move about the world, what drives you. We are so excited, not only for No Ordinary Man, but for every other thing that you're going to do and to touch. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mara. I appreciate you having me. Of course. That was Marquise Wilson, an activist and actor whose upcoming film, No Ordinary Man, will premiere on September 10th at the Toronto International Film Festival. Thank you for joining us on the Translash podcast. The thing that stuck with me this week was Marquise's quote that it's not a privilege to be silent. I'm going to be thinking about that for the next couple of weeks. And listen all the way through to the end of the show for something extra. I'm Amara Jones. 
If you like what you heard, please go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us. Please do that. It really helps us grow. You can listen to Translash on Spotify and wherever you get your podcast. Also, check us out on the web at translash.org to sign up for our weekly newsletter. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Translash Media. Like us on Facebook and tell your friends. Translash Podcast is produced by Translash Media by Futuro Studios. The Translash team includes Ruby Flazinski, Oliver Ash Klein, Montana Thomas, and Yannick Iki Mirko. And the Futuro Studios team includes Nicole Rothwell, Jess Alvarenga, Stephanie LeBeau, Leah Shaw, and Julia Caruso. Our digital strategy is handled by Daniela Capistrano. The music you heard was composed by Ben Draghi and also courtesy of ZZK Records. All right, Translash fam, I'm looking forward to some time off. I haven't had any break to speak of since January. Uh, I am exhausted. My plan, however, to go to a Caribbean tropical paradise uh, because of coronavirus, it was going to be really cheap. But sadly, now the coronavirus cases there have shot up by 100 times. Um, And so I'm going to be in my house. But it's still going to be good. Thanks for listening.